I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. Every problem is a little gift in disguise. You just have to unwrap it and figure out where that gift is. Um, I think that there's a lot of really smart, powerful people in this country uh, who are bringing um, wisdom and voice and you know things we need right now to the table. Katie Hollister was a partner at Deloitte for 36 years as she led businesses such as tax and legal strategy around the world, a $9 billion business of 45,000 people. She was elected by 3,000 Deloitte partners to represent the company on U.S. and global boards for six years. After her children were born, Katie arranged a part-time schedule while continuing to progress her career, initiating the acceptance of a model for other employees throughout the Deloitte system. Katie has the unusual combination of being a trained CPA with a law degree, and she believes that being different is an advantage in offering excellent career opportunities as she brings a unique perspective to any decision. She believes business has made great progress in supporting women with children, but society has not, which has become clear during this global pandemic. Enjoy listening to this fantastic podcast with Katie Hollister. I want to take a minute and thank our sponsor, Aspire Healthy Energy Drinks. I was introduced to Aspire when I interviewed Kim File, a successful executive and part owner of Aspire Brands, Inc. Check out Leading She Episode 13. I love them. Aspire Healthy Energy Drinks are great tasting, lightly sparkling healthy energy with no calories, no sugar, and no carbs. Aspire has healthy caffeine from green tea for smooth, sustained energy with no jitters and B and C vitamins that give me focus. I maintain a healthy and very busy lifestyle and drink Aspire every day. I hope you will try Aspire drinks. You can find nine great sparkling Aspire flavors at AspireDrinks.com. Use the code 10Aspire10, the number 10, the word Aspire, and the number 10 at AspireDrinks.com to get the Leading She listener discount. I'm delighted to have with me today Katie Hollister, who has been a partner for many years at Deloitte. Uh, she is specialized in tax, and um, you and I know each other from the Boys Hope, Girls Hope That's board right, yeah. here in Cincinnati, uh-huh. and uh, we didn't know each other well, but I've followed your career for a lot of years, and I know you're a career woman of achievement in the Y, which I was in 2011, so we have that sort of sisterhood. Um, one of the things I remember being on the Boys Hope, Girls Hope board with you, uh, and I was on that board for eight years, and you you won't remember this, but um, when I would approach disagreements or things the board was doing that I didn't agree with, I would probably be more confrontational and emotional. And I remember you not saying a lot, but when you did speak, you spoke um, on really good points, and then, but you were always logical and unemotional. And I learned, I learned from from you on that. That's really nice of you to say. Let me um, back up for a second and just thank you for doing this oh, Leading yes. She podcast. I'm it's delighted. Great. Yeah, delighted to um, have you here. I didn't mean there's, to. There's something really special about um, sharing advice with other people. That's how we all learn. Yeah. And I would say that thing that you just pointed out, uh, I wasn't born that way. <laughs> I had you to weren't? Learn. I had to learn that. <laughs> I have too, but it took me a lot longer. You're, and I, you and I are about the same age, uh-huh. and I was approaching things in a confrontational, disagreeing way. 
way. Yeah. But you said it so logically and unemotional. I just sat there, and you were maybe two people away from me. I can remember this. And you said <laughs> it so logically, and I thought, she's getting through to the guys. That's, you know, and there were only a yeah. couple of women on that board. It right. was very male-dominated. I do recall that. Yeah. yeah. So that is something that I learned um, over my career. I, I didn't show up at Deloitte that way, frankly. I, le- mm. I learned it. And um, I, I learned, well, everything I learned, I either learned by watching somebody else or I read it in a book somewhere. So mm-hmm. I think there's lots of things that we learn in these long careers mm-hmm. like we've had. Um, and you, you take traits and things that you appreciate other people have and you try to make them your own. You emulate them. Yeah, right. right. So I'm glad to have you here. Thank and you. I made that, I remember that comment. You didn't expect that comment. No. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I understand we're going to talk about chapter two, but I understand after 36 years with Deloitte uh, on September 19th, 36 years and 15 days, as I remember, but yep. who's counting, right? Yep. Um, that you are retiring. Yeah. Tell it, me about that. Um, well, it's super exciting. Um, I have had the pleasure of working at Deloitte for, you know, uh, almost four decades, which is like crazy when I think of the length of time. But the reason why I stayed there for such a long time is I, I, I went on a complete fluke. I really only intended to be there 12 months. But what I found when I got there and uh, settled in a bit was that there was just this infinite number of opportunities that you could do maneuvering through a big, huge organization like that. If you were willing to take a risk to move around, and if you were willing to take a risk to try new things, and if you were comfortable meeting people and letting them lead you to these new opportunities. And I so I found an infinite set of opportunities and an infinite set of people mm-hmm. uh, to lead me to them. And it was just too hard to give up. And I never, yeah. I never wanted to. But now here I am. And um, um, it's uh, it's I'm really excited about what I'm doing. Um, I love starts, and so to me, this is like completely rejuvenating, yeah. and um, really looking forward to. I'd like to um, do some board work. I do some mm-hmm. nonprofit board work now. Mm-hmm. I'd like to add some commercial uh, board work to that um, plate, and I'm really looking forward to that. Good. That's fantastic. Congratulations on a long and successful Thank career. You. I followed Thanks. your career for years, and know that you've been uh, very successful at Deloitte. And uh, I'd like you to talk about your career, maybe some highlights of it. And um, I remember in the 80s, um, companies like Deloitte uh, were accounting companies. There was the big six, big eight, right? And, yeah. And uh, they did financials, tax, audits. They did accounting. And now these companies, the big accounting companies, you know, have all these multiple business units, consulting and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it's not an accounting firm anymore. It is, but it's probably a very accounting small part something. of what they, what you do. So it's almost like uh, you headed some companies that were entrepreneurial within that big company. Yeah. So tell us about your career there. Yeah. So um, the start was funny. Um, I I graduated from college and then went to law school, and um, I had been on an extremely liberal arts track. I knew uh, diddly squat about accounting. <laughs> when I um, was leaving law school, I, I signed up on the bulletin board for um, what I thought sounded like a really nice law firm, Deloitte, Haskins, and Sells. I didn't even know oh, yeah, it was Deloitte's an accounting firm, prefer- embarrassingly. Um, and but um, and I remember the dean coming to me at the law school and saying, Katie, you don't even have an accounting background. What are you doing? And I was like, well, they don't have to interview me if they don't want to. You know, I'm just tr- signing yeah. up. And um, so I got the interview. 
Uh, and miraculously, I got a job. And I, the reason why I got a job is because they were looking peop- for people with some different skill sets, and they were actually trying to also hire women. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, okay, well, I'll try this. My husband was in medical school at the time, and I really only needed a job for 12 months. I thought I would do it for 12 months, learn something, and then leave with him wherever he went to do his residency. Mm-hmm. And here I am almost four decades later after this fabulous career. Mm-hmm. I um like most people in uh, these big um, uh, accounting consulting firms, I served clients in lots of different interest industries um, for years. But unlike almost everybody else in these um, big firms, I had the greatest opportunity to lead businesses from an early uh, age as a, a young partner. I, I started a business. I tore down a business. I ultimately led um a very large business in the U.S. It's about a billion and a half dollars with about 5,000 people in the U.S. and India. Mm. Um, and then around that operational experience, I had um, great opportunities to lead talent initiatives and market initiatives and innovation initiatives. Um, I was um, uh, uh, very proudly elected by my partners, 3,000 partners, to serve on the board for six years, both the U.S. board and the global board. Mm. That was probably a career high. I yeah. I, I learned so much. Um, I know I was a good board member and I, I gave to the board, but I, I also learned a lot. Uh, and my uh, most recent responsibility was leading the strategy for our tax and legal business around the world, which is about a $9 billion business and about um, 45,000 people. Mm. Um, and through wow. all that, I kind of learned. I learned a lot about myself. I learned that I'm a strategist at heart, but I execute by habit. Mm. And I, I like big visions, and I liked, you know, then, um, you know, taking that big vision and backing it off into small, executable steps. Um, strategists repeat that. Strategist by strategist at heart, mm-hmm. execution by habit. Hmm. I like that. Maybe the title of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. I mean, you're I knew you were a big shot, but you're a bigger big shot. No, no, no. I I'm not a big shot. I I drew I I, I sucked out every opportunity at that organization. <laughs> yeah, and they and, gave uh, you the opportunity. They, how many how diverse was the board, the Deloitte board? Um, the board uh, was and continues to be quite diverse from a gender standpoint. Okay. We are working on uh, broader diversification on other fronts, racial and uh, and other um, types of diversity, uh, you know, if you have – the board is about uh, 21 people. If you have 21 people sitting around the table and they all think the same way, then 20 of, 20 of them aren't necessary in my view. <laughs> right. You need so diversity. You, you need diversity not only of gender – uh, other people that don't look like you, don't have thinking, lifestyles like you, skills, right, to bring it. it in. Right. And we've talked about this. There's been science around diversity and how good that is for organizations. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So the interesting thing, one of the, so you've had a great career. Um, I remember, uh, I just have known about you that you traveled a lot, you know, that sometimes you'd miss board meetings, but it was, oh, Katie's traveling, you know. Well, and that was because I, uh, early on had these business leadership jobs yeah. and they were often not Cincinnati based um, where we live mm-hmm. and um, so I was often having to travel um, around the US and then later in my career qu- quite a bit globally um, to work with other people uh, this you know current environment that we have right now I think um, 
shows us how much technology is actually available to do that without the traveling. But yes. back then, you know, we thought the traveling was like necessary. You had to do it. Yeah. yeah. And when you're working with people in different time zones, um, you sometimes, uh, you know, do have to get together because otherwise you got people, you know, joining a call at 2 a.m. and that's just mm -hmm. not not fair to them. No. I think it's interesting that you have a law background with accounting, and I think it's a very interesting combination and speaks to your intelligence. Um, well, um, or my curiosity. Your curiosity. <laughs> so, well, you yeah. think, I always, I don't always, but many times I find attorneys don't always really understand financial things, Yeah, and accountants don't really always understand law concepts. So to have that diversity of backgrounds I find it really, you don't find it often. I don't think that I would have, um, I, I thank Deloitte for this because I don't think that I would have picked up the analytic side of my brain. Uh, I wouldn't have discovered it had I not gone to Deloitte because I was on a very, I think actually women our age actually were sort of coached to be on the letters side of things. Yes. I mean, I was always really good at math, um, but I didn't pr particularly care for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I said, you know, I didn't have any accounting when I entered Deloitte. And um, once I was there, though, I realized that if I was going to stay there, um, I needed to be able to talk the language that everybody else talked. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, and one day, um, the leader of the Cincinnati office came to me and said, did we tell you that, you know, to be promoted to a certain level, you have to have your CPA? And I was like, are you kidding me? I, I'm admitted to the bar. What are you talking about? And he's like, sorry, it's a local rule. So I went and got my CPA. Um, because wow. it was like... Law degree. Um, and, so, then and it was good. It was really, really important. Yeah. It, it caused me to learn things that I did not understand and I would not have been successful at Deloitte had I not mm -hmm. done that. And you specialized in tax, which I think is the most complicated part of accounting. What I loved about tax was that it was this, uh, on the one hand, it was like this set of rules. On the other hand, it had so much interpretation to it. So again, I kind of like the yin and yang of yeah, uh, yeah. things. Yeah, definitely. Um, tell me about where you grew up, uh, your parents, uh, siblings. I grew up in uh, New Jersey. Okay. And um, my uh, dad worked for IBM. My mom was a teacher. Um, she worked our entire, um, you know, childhood, and that that was uh, that made a pretty big influence on me. Um, I have two younger sisters. One lives here in Cincinnati, Abby, and one lives in uh, Boulder, uh, Colorado. Molly. Okay. How did your How did you end up in Cincinnati, and how did your sister end up here? My um, my I met my husband um, the last three weeks of college. Okay. Um, it was one of those. Oh, what the heck? How how, how, bad, how bad could the state be? <laughs> Opportunity. Apparently, pretty good. And, and yeah. now, and now it's a four decade thing, right? Um, so we met in uh, college. We both went to Duke University, mm -hmm. and then we were um, choosing graduate schools from there. I was choosing law school. He was choosing medical school. I originally went to WashU in St. Louis, and then moved here and transferred to Cincinnati because he was here in medical school. Okay. What kind of doctor is he? He's a radiologist. Radiologist. Okay. Yeah, he's an interventional radiologist. So okay. he uh, travels the, bi the body with a gui guided wire looking for stuff to unblock. <laughs> okay. Ah, yeah, I know those guys. <laughs> I don't have anything to unblock, but I know what you're talking about. Um, and uh, you have children. Um, you've been, you have a long marriage like I do. I'm, we just celebrated 38 years. Congratulations. Thanks. That's How great. about you? That's great. Yes, we've been married since 1986. And okay. uh, we have two boys. Okay. Um, they both live in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Ryan and Luke. Ryan works for the V Foundation, which is a, a cancer research funding uh, foundation mm. based out of North Carolina. It was um, uh, it's uh, it was a foundation that was born in honor of Jimmy V. Valvano, the famous NC State okay. basketball coach who died, unfortunately, of pancreatic uh, cancer. Uh, and then my other son, Luke, works for a, um, a consulting firm out of Chicago, uh, but he works in, in North, North Carolina. Carolina. It's called, so it's one called of Begu. them, yeah, the foundation son is not a Duke grad, I assume, if he's doing that for, you know. He, um, well, uh, he he went to college at Charleston and the other son went to Duke. Okay. Um, and Ryan, the, uh, the one who works for cancer research funding, um, raising money for cancer research now, um, did work at Duke for a little while. He raised money for um, Duke Athletics for five years. Oh, and uh, so he's a he's job. a fundraiser at heart. Cool. He yeah. could, he could uh, he could get a brick wall to donate. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lost art. That's that's not easy to do. Um, your father was an executive with IBM, and your mother was a teacher. Um, how did they influence you? My mom was um, super focused on uh, education. Um, she always used to say, that's the one thing in the world nobody can take away from you. Um, my dad was um, my, I would say, my business mentor. I remember when I was doing my college essays and I was, you know, writing them in this way that we are taught to write in high school. That's very flowery and yes. long and <laughs> lots of adjectives. And yeah. he was like, he was like, Katie, just just write this plain. Just be concise. Just say right. what you want to say. <laughs> right. Right. And don't reference yourself. I mean, I did yeah. a lot. We had audits in our companies that I was, I would have the audits within the company that, you know, accounting people came in and. There's a way to communicate, which is taking those um, flowery things out because accountants don't and yeah. audit, auditors don't right. like them. So, right. So I, I became a very good writer, mm -hmm. and I attribute that to both of my parents. Mm -hmm. um, I wish my dad's uh, passed away a couple years ago, but mm -hmm. I, I wish he was alive now at my retirement because I think he would be super proud. He used to always say that he thought I was going to be the most highly educated bartender because <laughs> that's how I put myself through. Um, uh, he paid for qu quite a bit of it, but that's how I paid for a lot of uh, school and other things that I wanted yeah. to do for years. Yeah, well, he's wrong. You've had a great <laughs> career. so He would be surprised. Yeah. I don't know. He, he probably saw more than that. He was probably joking, I would think. Yeah. Um, talk about being different, um, you know, and the advantage of that. Uh, you are different uh, in, in the 80s. I remember Deloitte Haskins and Cells. It became Deloitte Touche and um, very male-dominated industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and you quote Coco Chanel, a French fashion designer and businesswoman and founder of the Chanel brand, well-known. And uh, she says, in order to be irreplaceable, one must always be different. And you agree with that. Yeah. I learned this from a really early uh, point uh, at Deloitte. Um, and like I said before, you know, if you have 20 guys or 20 people sitting around a table and they all think the same thing, 19, 19 of them are not important uh, or relevant um, or needed. Um, so I think she was so right in that. It's not easy being different. Um, <laughs> in what way? Well, you, you know, we all, it's funny, humans are always trying to fit in. And uh, you see that particularly today with all of this exposure on the internet and, mm. uh, you know, younger people trying to be the same as everybody else and be as, as this and as that. But I think um, once you realize that uh, the thing that's different is 
perhaps the biggest gift that you bring to the table or the thing that you bring to your team and the, and the reason why people want you, um, you realize that different difference can actually be like an amazing strength. And it has to be difference in a relevant way. It can't be difference radical radical difference that isn't relevant to what's going on. Yes. On. But if it's if it's difference in a relevant way, it's extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, How have you used that in your career? You've been an attorney. A lot of accountants aren't attorneys. You've been probably the only woman at the table. How have you used that in, to advance your career or be successful? Most people say, I'm going through this uh, thing right now of um, catching up with people, talking with them as I exit Deloitte. And um, it's been it's been actually quite fun to do by phone and by video. Um, but most people say that um, what I do most often, and I don't even know that I realize I'm doing this, but they all say I do, is that if there's a conversation going on and it's spinning in a certain direction, I will often be, I guess, thinking in my head about what's the thing that we aren't covering, and I'll bring that point to the table. Um, it's got to be a relevant thing. It, you know, it's got to be relevant to what's going on. It's got to be valuable. But I will, I guess I'm always looking for the void and and seeking to fill that part of the conversation that isn't yet mm-hmm. on, on the table. Um, so I, that's a, uh, something that I, people strength learned, people commented on mm-hmm. it and then I realized it was a strength and I've tried to hone it, um, over time. Yeah. My very first experience with difference was actually about, um, well, the first day I walked into Deloitte, I was very different because I was a woman. There weren't very many women. I was a, an attorney. There weren't very many attorneys. And I remember, I recall one guy saying, you know, the last attorney we had uh, lasted here about six months, and uh, it was a guy. And I remember thinking, okay, well, that was really hostile. And I think remember thinking, well, whatever. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going right. to be here you know, longer. At the time, I thought it was going to be 12 months. <laughs> yeah. Now now I wish I knew who that guy was because <laughs> it's been four decades. So, But um, I, uh, about six years into my career, I was um, having my first baby and I went to um, the fellow who I worked for and said, you know, I'd, I'd like to do part-time. It's a big responsibility. I love my job, but mm-hmm. I, I want to be good at being a, a parent. I want to be good at my job. And so I'd like to do a part-time. And he just looked me straight in the eye and said, well, we don't do that here. And I just calmly looked him straight back in the eye and said, well, can we try it? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't we try this? Like, what? So I said, you go home, talk to your wife about it. I'm going to go home and write you a paper about how I think this can work. Mm-hmm. The next day we met. And it was an ordeal. I mean, you would have thought that I was asking for the moon. Um, and it sounds so silly in 2020 because, of course, this is something that happens all over the place now. It does now. Um, why do you? Why did you ask him to talk to his wife? I knew her. Oh. And um, I knew she would be on my side. <laughs> and very strategic. And maybe. I also <laughs> needed to buy a little time. Um, I didn't want to have the conversation right then because I wasn't prepared to have right. the conversation. I knew it was right, but I needed to think about how to position it right and and to and to get it all thought out so I could say, here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll commit to. Here's what I'll make sure won't happen. So I needed to think about all the all the objections they would have and all the fears they would have and all the reasons why they wouldn't want to do it and how I was going to convince them that mm-hmm. those bad things were not going to happen. Those, that's selling. You, you sold. Yeah. And you persuaded him. I probably learned that in the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So use the persuasive law skills to convince your the guy you report to that this is going to be good for him and good for you, and yeah. here's why you ought to do it. And oh, by the way, talk to your wife who likes me and will be on my side and it gives me a little time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
And it did, cool. it did end up being really good for me yeah. um, for this reason. Well, it was good for me. It was good for Deloitte. Um, I did it. I did it for about two years. It was really successful. Um, and the year after I returned to full-time, um, Deloitte's CEO, Mike Cook, um, initiated this um, or started this women's initiative. Mm-hmm. And um, he called me. I was a manager at the time. So here is the CEO of the whole place calling KD manager in Cincinnati. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, at first I thought, oh, you must have the wrong number. <laughs> and he's like, he said, no, you know, your name is popping up all over the place. And um, he was coming to Cincinnati. He was going to interview Ed Arts, who was then the CEO of P&G. Hmm. We were going to partner with some of our clients about how to think through this. And he said, I want you to come do the interview with me. Um, so that's an example, an early on example for me about how sometimes if you're the different one, you you stick out in a remarkable way and mm-hmm. and people want you because of that different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, we talked about your part-time schedule and it worked out and you uh, really set a precedent within the company, right? You established something that worked for you that really went globally, it went global, uh, went viral within the organization and became sort of a protocol, right? A, yeah. a prototype, I should say, of yeah. how to how to do this. And then that kept happening. So then I realized um, how, what a strength sometimes being the different one at the table was. Mm-hmm. And I just kept leveraging that. Mm-hmm. And I think I've always been thought of as being a slightly different person in the tax function mm-hmm. at Deloitte. And that's why I got um, interesting yeah. interesting jobs. Yeah. Um, talk about that a little bit more, uh, being different. Because in my career, I often tried to be one of the guys, and that that worked to my advantage in a lot of ways. You know, I would tell maybe off-color jokes. I might drink and smoke cigars like they were. And that doesn't work today for me. Yeah. And it doesn't work in our politically correct environment. Um, and I say, you know, the Me Too movement and the things going on with uh, with women and harassment. So, but it, but it worked for me back then. Um, yet... I've talked to people on this podcast who say, I accept being an outsider. Um, I was different. I knew I was different. And I wasn't going to try to be like them or fit in. And it worked yeah. anyway. Yeah. I I know those days you were talking about. I, I saw that. But I wasn't um, I wasn't comfortable trying to be a man. I, I I mean, I'm not a man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not either, but I, I, I guess I emulated them to, to connect to with try them, to relate to them. Yeah, fit yeah. in. Yeah, so it's that it's this tension of um, everybody, you know, humans have this need to belong. Yes. Um, and that drives, that drives us all to want to be like the group. And what I'm saying is there's so much power in understanding the group and understanding mm-hmm. how they think and... And um, but not being just like them because mm-hmm. if you're being just like them, you aren't bringing anything special, anything and then special. the group isn't really growing as a mm-hmm. as a group. Yeah. Um, so th- there's so many interesting things today where you can bring that lesson um, to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you just look at um, the whole conversation that's going on around uh, equity um, and um, systemic racism. And you, you go back to so many points in time where people in the minority, for whatever reason, race or other, tried to fit in mm. 
and that didn't really accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. What, the, 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 the best is when um, people can authentically bring to the table the thing that's different about them. Right. And we can be better as groups, as communities, mm-hmm. um, as teams, as organizations, because we have all these differences. Right. You celebrate diversity. Yeah. Diversity is a good thing. Yeah. You know, uh, we're in a, we're in the time, we're in 2020 and, and in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, we walked into this building with masks on, and uh, COVID-19 virus has rocked this uh, country uh, from a population standpoint, health standpoint, economy. Everyone's world has changed, and it happened February, March 2020, this year. Uh, and we've all had to change in some way, and there's been racial unrest as well. We have an election coming up. But you had an interesting perspective around that it's not all negative. There's positive in this. Yeah. I think there's some um, there's some amazing things happening in the world right now. I think there is a great conversation uh, going on about um, what it feels like to be it, the minority, um, what it feels like to be in a system that's um, been built by the majority, for the majority. So I, I think that's a very powerful conversation, and I hope that that keeps going. Mm-hmm. I think I that too. there's um, an amazing acceleration of, um, from a technology standpoint, the use of data and um, rapid acceleration of um, scientific experimentation that's uh, going on. I mean, if you think about the pace at which we are talking about um, vaccines and um, the ways that um, universities and businesses have used modeling and data analytics um, to, you know, we w- we will not probably conquer uh, this COVID nineteen, but we can manage it. Mm-hmm. And it, the I think it's just been so interesting to see how some organizations have responsibly managed this using advancements in technology mm-hmm. and data. Um, big big data models, um, data analytics, um, you know, s- cell phone uh, daily testing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it's just remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are all really good things, um, and I think that um, you know, big systemic change is often I think of it as a visual, as sort of like a spring coil. You've got these these coils that move forward, and then a piece of the coil that steps back a little bit. And this, and the step back actually propels the next coil forward, and I just think that um, we're in that moment right now where that spring is wired really tightly, and mm-hmm. we are taking great steps forward, some little backward steps too, mm-hmm. um, but we are we're in a, a really rapid acceleration of discovery and um, uh, you know renewal. I think for our our country right now. So yeah, I hope you're right. Positive I about it. think you're right, but if you believe the news. You know, the news often comes out with, you know, this thing is wrong. Here's why you have to worry and yeah. here's who to blame. Yeah. And uh, that gets really old. I have to take news yeah. in bits. But yeah. but if you look at everything going on, you're like, where is it going to be two years from now, five years from now? What do you yeah. think? Oh, I'm I'm always on the side of good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're very optimistic. I think that, you know, like every every problem is a little gift in disguise. You just have to unwrap it and figure out where that gift is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of really smart, powerful people in this country uh, who are bringing um, wisdom and voice and, you know, things we need right now to the table. Yeah. Talk about resiliency. Um, 
there uh, you've talked about there are people that are better at adapting than others and uh, uh, I believe this uh, and you just said every problem is a gift in disguise so how do you attack problems with resiliency how do you look at change as being a a good thing yeah well there's been a lot written about um, how what an important life skill resiliency is and um, so I've done a lot of thinking about how, how is it that you help other people how is it that you are resilient yourself? How is it that you help other people? Mm-hmm. How do you teach your children? How do you mentor young people to be resilient? Because it's such an important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose there's some people who are just born that way, you know, just mm-hmm. with raw guts and courage. But I also think that there's an awful lot of resiliency that's learned. Because mm. we have to adapt. Yeah. Right? And I th- I think it's... Um, I think you learn it from other people. I think human connection is so important in learning that. I'm a big fan of mentoring. Mm. Um, I think that, um, you know, part of resiliency is learning to um, anticipate risks and think about what your options would be so that when you get to that point, you already know what your choices are. Mm -hmm. That's a habit. Um, both anticipating and thinking about options. Um, that's a habit. I, I've always been a big fan of having a plan B, a plan C, and a mm-hmm. plan D right. if A wasn't going to work out. Yeah. Um, did you ever um, take the Strengths Finder? Uh, mm-hmm. Did you? Mm-hmm. Is strategy in there for you? Yeah. Uh-huh. I would think so. Yeah. And I've got strategy too. And I guess it's somewhat unusual, I've been told by people that specialize in this. So I'm always thinking six months out, a year out, how it might affect this and this. And if that happens, this will happen. Not yeah. everybody thinks that way. Yeah. I th- I think that, um, you know, part of being resilient is having a plan like that, but also being prepared for when the plan doesn't it work out doesn't work and out. knowing which, you know, what you're going to do if, if, if. Right. Um, I, I, um, I don't know. Do you think, what do you think, Susan? Do you think that people are born to be resilient or do you think it's a habit that people learn? I think it's a bit of both. I think uh, you can have a tendency to be more adaptable maybe inherently because of your genetic traits. I think in the families we grow up in, we learn resiliency, ability to adapt, whether it was functional or dysfunctional mm-hmm. in, the, in the family home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that from my experience, uh, I've learned to be resilient, and I underestimate it every time I have a challenge before me, mm-hmm. thinking, don't forget what you went through 10 yeah. years ago or 20 years ago. You've been through this before, and you've done it. Yeah. And I've gotten through all this stuff, you know? So there is resiliency. And I don't know where I got it, if I was born that way, if it was my childhood, or if it was, you know, getting through it. Do you, I, do think you think? Your con- I think your connectedness with other people often brings that broader perspective um, to the forefront. You know, like when you're, when you're out on the ledge all stressed out, you're not in a position to be thinking creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's often other human, other people around you who cause you to like get out of that trap of fear and and to actually start thinking creatively about the ways that you can solve problems. Right, right. Um, yeah, let's talk about that because you talk about um, – like in the 50s and even 60s, leadership, and especially because it was very male-dominated back then, uh, could mean command and control, almost in a military fashion. And today it's different. And you believe in that. You believe in really involving your team 
and collaborating and listening. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, I think there's um, there is an old style of leadership that is hierarchical and sort of like power over others or power in an organization. And um, I like to think about uh, power for uh, something bigger. Um, some people refer to it as social power, and I think social power is is basically the source of social power is is people, people's mm-hmm. enthusiasm, people's uh, collectivity, people's united um, a d- desire to work in a united way towards something bigger than themselves that you know that isn't seen today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of the more powerful leaders are people who lead in that social power way, um, where they are leading. Uh, on behalf of a group to get to another another place. So mm-hmm. I like power four um, and I like I like people who lead not from where they are but f- uh, for where they want to go. Power four? Yeah. Power for something. Oh you know, I see power for something. Can power. you think of some leaders like that that do that? Well I think there are people um, I think there are people now who are uh, quite powerful and they are they're ex- they're exhibiting their power for a, a new way of thinking about um, the majority and the minority and right how, rather than self yeah mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. I think that um, I think there are some so we talked about in the uh, sort of racial equity I think there's some extremely uh, powerful voices um, that have always been about power for something better. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about John Lewis, who just passed away, and right. um, how how powerful his voice was, but it wasn't power over people. It wasn't power in an organization. It was power for something bigger mm-hmm. than himself, and right, and uh, and a new a new way of mm-hmm. being in this country. Yeah, and and I I put up one of his quotes on my my website and my social media, leadingshe.com. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's for the greater good. It's like uh, how do you how do we get out of ourselves? Yeah, you know, and the selfishness around. I want to win this. I want to make more money. I want to do this. And to do that, I need to crush you, or I need to do it this way. When I think that's what's going to come out of the, all of these changes is yeah. that we need to think of the country and people in a different way. Yeah. Um, diversity, uh, change, um, inclusion. I agree. You know, I agree. I think there has to be a um, an acceptance of leadership that sometimes I feel is missing a little bit today. I mean, mm-hmm. I see a lot of people um, for causes and um, disdaining leadership. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think any cause goes anywhere without some kind of leadership. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think all leadership is bad. I think there there is great leadership. And, and I don't think all power is bad. I think there's great power. And mm-hmm. uh, power is leadership. And um, grassroots, I think, is great for identifying and putting substance around a cause. Mm-hmm. Um, but grassroots without leadership to take those grassroots somewhere uh, isn't going to accomplish anything. No, you have to have leadership. You have to have yeah. some people that stand out and say, we don't all agree on every issue, right? but here's where we're going. Right. And those people are going to make decisions that uh, for the benefit of the group that, you know, that everybody's not going to agree with. And I, I think that there's a lot of people right now who, when they disagree with the leader, they think the leader's bad. And I, right. I, just, I just think the leader's operating from a different vantage point where mm-hmm. they see... 
um, you know, differences of opinions and pros and cons, and they're leading in a way to take the whole group somewhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What do you think the most compelling issues facing women today, and you and I have had about the same number of years in our career, um, you're 36 years with Deloitte, I've been at it for 40 years. I mean, what what do you think the biggest issues facing women in the next two to five years are, 10 years? What do, what do you think they are? Well, I'll start with a shorter term. Uh, something that's a little bit poignant for me as I um, think about my career at Deloitte, I, I was very proud of the progress that we had made at Deloitte around um, helping women with the work and family bundle of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And I thought we had made like a lot of progress. Um, and we did. Um, but right now, I hear so from so many women and men about the struggle that they're uh, having in this uh, COVID-19 time. Because I, I don't think I don't think our country and the systems that we have have caught up with how to support women at work. So work has figured out how to do its part to support women at work, but I'm not sure society has. I mean, society I don't has. think we really realized how reliant we were on the educational system for daycare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and I don't think. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of it, – it's just poignant for me that I, I feel like I'm sort of back to the future on it a little bit. You know, yeah. like here we are with so many women uh, struggling right now uh, with how to manage this. Um, and you and I in the 80s had our children, right? You had your children in the 80s? Uh, 80s uh, and 90s. Ni 90s, yeah. okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, and back then it's almost like I, I even felt like I had to make a choice. You either work full-time or you stay home with your kids. There right. wasn't a, and right. you found a happy medium with the part time, yeah, part time work. But even today, uh, we're we're um, you know a lot of us are working from home. Our children are not going to school, and it's like, how do you balance that? Yeah. It can't just be the responsibility of the woman; it has to be the husband too. Right. So I, and um, particularly single parents, male or female. I think that's a particularly onerous oh, yeah. job right now. So on a short-term basis, I think that's um, that's something that is, you asked, what are the big challenges? That is a really big challenge mm -hmm. right now. If um, you want to have children and you want to have a career, it's like business has learned a lot about supporting women in that way, but our society is not. I'm not sure that we've got it right on, you know, um, daycare and, and supporting okay. women with, with children. Mm -hmm. um, so... Um, so that's a, that's a big short-term issue. I think, um, you know, longer term, um, both men and women um, will need um, to will need to learn to work in a in a society that is um, so technologically oriented. Um, you know, there are there are things to embrace about technology and things to be a little worried about around technology. Mm -hmm. I think that there is a there's a challenge around um, there's there's the good side of data. It's being used for so many good things, but there's also, you know, we are so free to share our data. Um, I'm sort of a private person and so there's a there's a part of this that I think will be a big challenge for men and women to just think about how much about yourself are you willing to share and, mm -hmm. and release for the use of um, 
of other purposes. In some cases, those purposes are really great, and I see great sharing of data right now on um, on medical mm-hmm. uh, issues, which I think is helping us solve medical issues. But the the whole um, the whole transparency. Uh, to just mass amounts of data is a little scary for mm-hmm. me. So I think that's a challenge that uh, all people will have to manage. I think um, so too. I, you know, I often wonder how much does Facebook and Google, I mean, I think they know a lot about where we are, what we're doing. You know, we have an Amazon Alexa at home. I think it's Amazon Alexa, right? And it's like, how much is Alexa hearing us? I've heard that Alexa is listening to what we're watching on TV, listening to our conversation. (laughs) Now, do they get in and say, okay, Susan and Steve are saying this and violating my civil rights? I don't think so. And I don't really have a whole lot to... I don't have a whole lot to... I don't have really... (laughs) To worry about. I don't have anything to hide either, but... But uh, the privacy civil rights thing has never been really... I feel like, you know, are we violating civil rights? Are we taking all of this data and mining it down so it's has is of commercial use? So I think so I think those will be big issues that um organizations um will face about uh you know the the right of the place to control what the people in the place do mm. um and and how and how the people uh, in the place have a right to their data to keep it private or keep not. It private. So right. I think that's kind of an interesting. Um, yeah, we have the HIPAA thing, ahead. right? With with healthcare, it, but is is our health is our you know our health records are they out there for people to see that really that may make decisions about your career or your life. Uh, that really have no business looking at it. Yeah. So I think there's been a, a pretty good development here on these questions that have been caused, these questions that have been put on the table and some of these um, uh, big data companies have made, I think, some good, some good, maybe small steps mm-hmm. um, uh, toward um, responsible policies around data, data, data privacy, particularly masking of data and anonymizing mm-hmm. uh, data that, um, you know, May not have happened if uh, they weren't called to the table to speak yeah. for what they're speak for what they're doing. So. Right? Yeah, anonymizing um, data, and I wonder sometimes, like if somebody wanted to use this data in a discovery manner in a lawsuit, for example, mm-hmm. you know, is it available? There's a big conversation going on right now about this, um, you know, rights and privacy thing. About you know, will organizations when we get a vaccine. Uh, for this uh, pan- for this COVID nineteen mm-hmm. uh, pandemic that we're facing, you know, will organizations be able to force people to um, take the vaccine, vaccine to be able to be part of that community or that team oh, wow. or that organization? And um, you know, there's a lot of interesting issues there um, mm. about um, you know if people want to object either on religious a religious basis or on a um, a disability basis, or for whatever reason, they're worried about the vaccine itself. Yeah, that they don't feel like it's tested enough. Is yeah. that a good enough reason to come into work anyway? So I think that'll be a big issue that um, that we will hmm. um, interesting we will soon face. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm going to end with a question as we wrap up, Katie. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, what's next for Katie Hollister. Uh, September nineteenth, twenty twenty, is your uh, is your retirement date. I'm looking it up on a I looked it up on the calendar, and it's a Saturday. Uh, and Monday, September 21st, uh, is your alarm going to go off in the morning? And what will your day look like? And what will that week look like? 
Um, well, that week will probably be a pretty relaxing week, okay. I imagine. Um, I'm not much of an alarm person. No. <laughs> so I'm going to be really happy when that alarm doesn't go off in the morning. Yeah, I don't like them either. Um, so I'm a, I'm a, a big nighttime a uh, geek. Yeah. I, I like to stay up late at night, and that's my that's my power time. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for sure, on that following Monday, I will be enjoying myself, um, thinking about um, all that I learned at Deloitte and um, how I carry that, you know, to whatever I'm going to do next. I learned so much there. I'm incredibly thankful for the experience and the people that I met. I will keep in touch with those people because um, that's what I do. And um, you know, who knows what the what the future will bring? I'm really interested in positioning myself for some um, commercial boards, corporate boards. But yeah. I have to I have to find mm-hmm. the exact right one for me. You mm-hmm. know, it, I'm not doing it to be on a board. I'm doing it to. Um, be engaged, be um, enthusiastic, be motivated, about something. be intellectually mm-hmm. um, right. um, engaged. So yeah. I have. I think you'll do well there. I think there's a big need for women on boards right now, and has been for a while. But mm-hmm. I think you'll be in demand for sure. Well, we'll see. People say it's hard, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you will. I'm excited to see what you do next. Thank and you very much. Okay. Is your husband retiring, or is he retired? No, he's he's uh, still keeping going. He. Um, He's an interventional radiologist, mm-hmm. and um, he's not interested in stopping quite yet. No, I think you know. In order, in order to stop what you're doing, you have to be excited about the next thing. Yeah, chapter I'm in, two. I'm incredibly excited about the next thing, and yeah. so I'm totally ready to stop and excited to stop doing what I was doing and and restart in another way. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's quite there. Yeah, it's energizing, and I yeah. uh, look forward to seeing what you do next and uh, wish you the best. Congratulations on a great career, and thanks Thank for you. coming into Leading She. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.